You are listening to the weekly Q&A session we call Splunk Talk. Episode 8 for July 23rd, 2010. Too much time on my hands. Today's show is all about timestamps, formats, prefixes, and how Splunk does its magic. The nerd meter just hit 11. Let's get going. I gotta have more cowbell. Splunk Talk, writing answers without a doubt. Splunk Talk, we'll help you figure it out. Splunk Talk, I'd like to tell the whole world about Splunk Talk. Splunk Talk. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. It is Friday, July the 30th. It's almost uh, August, and it's almost time for Splunk user conference. But today, it's uh, Splunk Talk. With us, Jeff Blake out of Chicago. How are you? Doing good, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm in the basement. I'm not too far from you in Milwaukee. I'm at my folks' house. Wanna wanna apologize to everybody. We missed a podcast last week due to scheduling. We usually try to do them every week, but Jeff and I were out. Maverick, of course, was available, but you know, I don't know. Maverick, where are you today? I am in Dallas and doing fine. Everything's fantizzle. <laughs> Is it uh you know, normally, as most people know, I'm down in Austin, and I'm sure it's hot as holy heck today. Well, how how is it uh, there today? Is it isn't it like a hundred? It's yeah, it's been a over the weekend. It was a hundred and eleven or something, I think, and now today it's probably a hundred, something like that. That's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. Yeah, I, I I stay with the air conditioner on pretty much. Is that what that noise is? That is exactly what that noise is. No, that's his hair dryer. I guarantee it. <laughs> oh, you found me out. He's got an ion hair dryer. It's been going since 8 a.m. <laughs> no one can have that blown hair look all day. He has to have this this environment that, that keeps it I have a, so perfect. What, I, have a U, I have a USB fan that blows it all day long. There you go. Plugs it into my computer, laptop. And... <laughs> That's beautiful. All right. Starting off today's question and answer brain trust jeff what do you got for us today first question uh from a customer as always recently i started splunking entire directories containing different types of log files and i noticed that splunk occasionally recognizes in the timestamp in the events themselves and there's other sources that don't contain any timestamps in them but splunk still manages to determine the proper way to uh timestamp those events so the question is how does splunk know how to apply the time in the correct way like this and is there some sort of specific precedence or precedence that Splunk follows to figure it all out? Go. Good question. Uh, the answer is in the docs, uh, as most things are, but you know it's always good to talk about it. One of the things I like about Splunk is most of the time it, it just does the right thing. But it does the right thing based on the information that it has available. So when Splunk... E- uh, eats a, a log or eats a piece of data, it's going to look for the timestamp in the log itself. But there are some times, or in the event itself, there are some times when it can't find it. And there are a set of rules that happen that help it make other choices. Um, if you have manually set, uh, there's a command that you can uh, put inside your configuration files called time underscore format. If you if you have a special time format, it's going to take that by default. So that's basically saying turn off the intelligence. 
if no time format is provided, it'll automatically try to figure out in the event itself. Well, what happens if the event maybe um, doesn't have a time or a date in it? If the previous event had a time or date, Splunk's going to take that because it's going to assume it happened around the same time. What happens if if the events uh, in a source have a date but no time, uh, for example? Time, if there's no time, it'll try to take the system time, but uh, it'll it will generally try to if there's no date to it'll, in the event, it'll pull it from the file itself. Um, there are a couple of other exceptions where it might take the system time, like if you are eating data over syslog and there's no date and timestamp in, and then by default, uh, if it can't find any sort of timestamp in any log. Or in any source, it'll assume the current time. And, you know, it's kind of a long answer to the question, but there are a set of rules. And one of the, you know, as I said before, one of the nice things is you can let Splunk be super intelligent or you can help it and you can educate it and you can configure it. So that uh, that usually is, isn't too hard to, to get going. Nice. Good answer. I know. I answered it. Yeah, not. <laughs> he answered it. Just kidding. So... So um, yeah, and and I think uh, if you're splunking files too, like like uh, config files, um, the it'll it'll do the same thing you were just saying, but it will find the modified date in that case. I think because um, I think that's the last uh, last one it defaults to, because it's assuming that you know it's a file on disk. You're changing it somewhere, you know, in the middle maybe, on a regular basis, but not as regular, not as consistent as like a log file where it's appending rapidly to the beginning or ending of the file um but you know you may be manually changing it so it would use the modified date in that case as the as the last one from the from the file handle itself yeah yeah you're absolutely correct maverick because a configuration file it's the set of it's not a set of log entries that wouldn't have a time so um and, and the file is changed and, and and we'll take that as the modified time and you know a lot of people don't know splunk can track those changes but i got a question here from a listener, I need to index some custom app log events that contain hexadecimal Unix timestamps in them. When I index it, Splunk uses the current time as the timestamp and ignores the one at the beginning of each event. How can I configure Splunk to recognize the hexadecimal epoch-based Unix timestamp appearing within each event? Whoa. All right, let me let me let me let me take this one because um, I actually worked with somebody um, that recently that had this exact situation. So, so Splunk usually, if it has an epoch time, Splunk will recognize that. But if it's if it's um, like these MTA logs, I think they're MTA events I was working with um, that had an a, an hexades a hexadecimal encoded version of the epoch time. So it's almost like it's got to be translated twice, right? It's got to be converted to decimal. Which is going to be the epoch time, and then convert it again to the to the readable timestamp. So, um, so the so it's a little bit different. So there is a configuration in, in the latest version of Splunk. There is support for this now, um, and you have to manipulate um, or, or make a copy of the date time XML that's in the Splunk Etsy directory. You rename it to a new name, and you configure it for this source to uh, to hook it up, and you would change um, the the name of the time pattern to underscore hex epoch, one word underscore hex epoch and that will tell Splunk to convert it from hexadecimal then you know epoch time then to the readable timestamp it totally works and you, you hook it up in your uh, I believe it's your props.conf file um, and it's uh, 
I was pretty, um, I was pretty stoked that, uh, that to know that we could do so such sophistication to that level. So what, uh, what stuff has hexadecimal timestamps in it? What kind of logs were there? I've never seen it. The, yeah, they were MT, the MTA oh. mail log. They're like mail logs. And you have to use daemon tools. There's there's a thing called daemon tools or daemon tool that you use to that you that usually typically what customers have done before, and some of them are use Splunk or not use Splunk, but they have to deal with these things. They have to run it through daemon tools to convert each event to like a new output that has the epoch time in it, and then and then they would search you know because they can't they don't they can't read it hexadecimal on the fly either, but maybe epoch time they can they can or at least they can get an idea. And, um, and so we just do all of that in one shot. So we save this customer a lot of time having to do a lot of pre pre-processing of the data before it got indexed. We just put it, Splunk in a directory, boom, ate it up, converted it, done. Wow. That's kind of cool. And, and you know, I was just Googling as I do often, and there are, <laughs> there's a lot of discussion around this on the, on the web, just so different apps use that timestamp. So it's fortunate that we support it. Jeff, you got anything to add? I do have something to add. I'm going to talk about .conf 2010, the Splunk Worldwide Users Conference. That is happening in a couple weeks, August 9th through 11th in San Francisco at the Palace Hotel. Everybody listening should be there. Uh, we're going to have a pre-conference called Splunk University where we're going to deliver uh, education classes uh, learn about using Splunk, administering Splunk, uh, developing with Splunk, our, 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 ca- our hand classes, a uh, bunch of sessions. There's going to be a Splunk Answers Lab, Birds of a Feather session, town hall meetings, just a bunch of great stuff, plus some uh, extra treats that uh, some things we haven't advertised that are going to be there. The, the Splunk Talk team will be there, and we will be doing a live podcast at the show. Ooh, that's going to be fun. It'll be exciting. And everyone will get to see Maverick's hair live. It will, it'll probably cause people to like unsubscribe from the podcast. Probably. I doubt it. I'm sure you'll probably get more email than you do about your hair. I am. I'm doing a class, the class that I'm doing. And me and Karen deep Baines, who's, uh, one of our support ninjas, or he goes by deep. We're going to be having a, a session about a kind of a behind the scenes of Splunk at the Interop Network Operations Center. So we're going to talk about really what we do. We get to sort of play IT people for two times a year, how Splunk fits into there, some of the crazy things that happened, and to give people sort of behind the scenes of how you know we've been able to use Splunk um, in some really cool environments so i'm looking forward to uh looking forward to that that sounds cool yeah it's exciting hey i have a i have a question from a customer what do you get all right so check this out he says i have some sms application events that contain more than one timestamp in them so so i guess it means you know he's got a, a, a single line event or something with two or three timestamps in there splunk seems to automatically recognize and index the first timestamp that appears in each event as the Splunk time field that it uses, but I really need it to use the third timestamp within the event as it appears. How do I make it do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You guys talked about um, how do I get a timestamp 
into Splunk that's accurate when there is no timestamp or there's a weird timestamp in the event. This is kind of the opposite problem, right? There's multiple timestamps in the in the log entry, and we need to pick one that may not be the obvious one. So right. it's a good happens frequently, more frequently than than you might imagine. But it's a pretty easy way that we treat it. And um, you basically want to um, configure timestamp assignments uh, in uh, an extraction in the props.conf file. So in props.conf for that source or for that uh, app, the way we do it now, you're going to have two pieces of the stanza. There's a time prefix and a max time stamp look ahead. Both those keys are in props.conf and you set them up so that they can guide where Splunk wants to extract the, the timestamp field. So if you had multiple timestamps, you could easily describe to Splunk using the time prefix stanza. You use a regular expression to, do, to count up the characters and tell it how to treat each one. And then in the max timestamp look ahead, you give it the number of characters that you want to look ahead to use for the timestamp extraction. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. And um, all in one file, it works flawlessly. I just did that at a POC last week, so uh, we know it works. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned the timestamp look ahead because the default number of characters that the timestamp processor looks into an event is 150. And, you know, your timestamp, if you're, let's say you're looking for the third timestamp, you might put a really perfect timestamp or a time prefix in there, and it still doesn't work because your timestamp is farther than 150 characters. So just set that, and uh, it's pretty much, um, you know, done. Set and it and forget it. Set it and forget it, to use the common... Hey. Ronco. Hey, hey, we should. Hey, since all these questions are about time, we should call this good times. Good times. Remember that? Remember that? Perhaps. <laughs> I talk show. <laughs> Perhaps. Good times. Why? Yeah. Why did you talk, Maverick? <laughs> you were you were talking. No, the, any the rule is anytime Jeff starts laughing, you have to wait till he's finished laughing to talk. There's no way I can get a whole soundboard full of Jeff laughs if you're talking. All right, all right. I won't okay. I won't talk from now on. So I'll laughing. edit that out anyways. Excellent questions, great answers. If you have feedback on the show, if you have some suggestions on things we should cover or the format, or you'd like to submit a question to be answered on air, discussed by these three crazy dudes, send an email to splunktalk at splunk.com or a carrier pigeon to Jeff's house. Splunk Talk. All right. As I always say, it's my favorite segment. Uh, sometimes because we cover Maverick's number of Splunk Answers points, but usually it's about what did we learn this week, what if any, which can be about anything Splunk related or anything randomly technical. Uh, what do we got? Anything? Maverick, Jeff, yeah, Michael. Well, well I'm, I have something, but I just I don't want to clarify that. Yeah, I did move up to number number 11, but then I got knocked out of uh, 11 back down to 12th again by... Um, by a by a customer, one of our customers is just going crazy answering questions for people left and right. So um, you let a customer beat you? I beat me, but uh, but I'm I'm over 900 reputation points. I'm really really is proud that Lowell? That. So um, is it Lowell? I don't know. No, it's I I don't know. I I I was trying to figure out who it is. It's one of my one of my other customers. It's, it's one of my other customers. I'm not going to say who it is, but I think I know that I've worked with this guy uh, originally when he was evaluating the product, and yeah, he's just he's really good, and so he's 
Um, he's moved his way up. He's going to probably rival Gerald one day, but I doubt it. But they did. But but since we're talking about time, this 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 uh, episode, um, it seems like all the questions are about time and everything. Um, uh, I did learn something about time uh, regarding lookups. So like when you so get this when I mean maybe you guys already knew this. I I always thought this was pretty cool. You, you, when you have a lookup field, uh, a lookup feature you're using in your you know for one of your sources, and you're enriching, you're doing the data enrichment with that lookup uh, mechanism. You, you you know one of those fields might be a timestamp. Where you want to pass in a timestamp and have it find it based on some time format. So there's actually two extra fields that let you configure. Well, you tell Splunk which field of maybe multiple fields you might be passing in to look up. Um, you tell them which one is the time field and uh, and the format of that particular time field. Um, so when it looks up into the CSV, um, you you know it can find the right uh, range or whatever. And, it, and you can do negative ranges and things too. It, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, how it works, but uh, but I learned and got got to mess around with that with a customer this week, so just thought I would share. Cool. So I've got I did this this cool thing yesterday. I mean, I thought it was cool, not because I did it, because but um, it was. Uh, so I'm working with this guy that he's a command line guy. He's a scripting guy. He's a Unix guy, grep guy, which I'm a grep and Unix guy as well, and. In his deployment, he has some save searches that he's going to run. And he I think he's either going to do it with a cron job, perhaps, um, or oh, and then run have a script that kind of wraps the whole thing and makes a bunch of decisions in his own way. I was telling him, you know, one of the things you could do, because uh, he he's in the command line all the time, and he's on his laptop, and he's SSH'd into different places, and he uses terminal on his laptop all the time. I said, you know, I told him about distributed search. And, of course, distributed search is where you can take one Splunk server, hook it up to another one, and search one from the other. But in this case, I told him um, to put Splunk on his laptop, just like I have it set on, on my laptop. It's there all the time. But to configure distributed search, to have his laptop search his production indexer. Oh, why would you want to do that? Uh, well, there's some reasons why you might want to make your laptop a search head. But since Splunk's got a pretty sweet command line, by configuring his desktop Splunk server to search his production indexer, when he goes to the command line in his shell that he spends half of the day and maybe he runs scripts at, he can run Splunk searches directly from his laptop and the Splunk server on his laptop is really sort of like a client to that indexer. And uh, he was pretty stoked about that. It took him a little while to sort of understand... Um, that that was possible but once he did he was kind of like wow that's great you know i can sort of i said to him i said you don't get the best of both worlds you actually get all worlds which i've, I've always really liked about about splunk so awesome something, something to try hey, I, hey hey when you said unix a while ago i could have sworn you said unic i did I did, but um, I okay, meant I it in I, <laughs> I meant it in multiple unix Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and that looks like all we've got for this week. I just want to thank everyone for listening. The folks out there that are subscribing, of course, you can uh, do that at Splunk.tv. You can also subscribe inside of iTunes. We have a Google Reader feed as well. We appreciate the listeners, the questions, and the chance to uh, chat a little bit about Splunk. And thanks for spending a bit of your week with us and have a great one. 